listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 18th of May 2022. Later, gender financial equality, has it improved? But first, let's talk about wages, where the wage price index rose 2.4% annually. That is less than the headline rate of inflation at 5.1% annually. And when you consider the underlying rate of inflation, which was, which is what the Reserve Bank takes into consideration and is a little lower, it still means that real wages is down by 1.1% for the year. So for more about what all of this means, I spoke earlier with Callum Pickering. He's the Chief Economist at Indeed. Callum, how would you describe the pace of wages growth in Australia? Australian wage growth remained pretty disappointing in the March quarter, up just 2.4% over the year, which is consistent with the the pretty mediocre wage growth figures that we've had for much of the past decade. Okay, a lot's been talked about the cost of living in Australia. Um, With inflation taken into account, to what extent are real wages down and what does that mean about the cost of living? Adjusted for inflation, Australian wages fell 2.6% over the past year. That's the biggest decline since the introduction of the GST back in uh, 2000. So Australian wages have gone backwards at their fastest pace in a very long time. That's putting a lot of pressure on Australian household budgets and, you know, cost of living pressures, particularly for lower income households. We're hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence, right, or stories about some people getting huge pay rises or bonuses or incentives amid a tight labour market. Even the RBA, uh, its business liaison, has, has noticed it. How is this being reflected in the numbers? In the March quarter, wages increased in just 15% of Australian jobs. And amongst those jobs, the increase was around 3.4%, which compares pretty favourably to the 2.4% increase in wages nationwide. What that means is that there are some jobs that are getting some pretty big wage gains right now. And those those workers who do change jobs, change industries, can possibly be getting those, those very big wage gains as well. So, Callum, with wages growing slower than expected, right, but some people getting bigger pay rises within certain industries, does it reduce the need for the Reserve Bank to lift interest rates aggressively? There's still a strong argument for the RBA to lift rates aggressively. And the main reason for that is because the RBA expects wage growth to continue to increase. While the figures were a little bit disappointing in the March quarter, they still anticipate that wage pressures will begin to build over the next six to 12 months. And they expect inflation to continue to increase as well over the course of this year. So expect the RBA to hike pretty aggressively. Callum Pickering there, the Chief Economist at Indeed. So what about the wage gap between males and females? Well, that remains stable, but according to Finance's Women's Index, but that gap means it'll take 22 years to close in. For more, I spoke earlier with Finance's Women Index author, Bianca Harchi Hazelman. Bianca, how would you describe the progress to gender financial equality? I'd describe progress to gender financial equality as being as something that's definitely improving and we've seen it improve through the pandemic, but we're actually at a point in time where as the economy picks up, we're actually seeing some backward momentum. 
So I hope that's not confusing. Long term, the trend is we're seeing gender equality progress, which is great. But in the very short term, this volatility caused by the economy picking back up off the back of the pandemic, we're actually seeing progress tilt backwards. Let's go through some of the components. Today we saw the official wages data come out of the Bureau saying that wages uh, rose a little bit slower than expected, but what's the gender pay gap like according to your report? The gender pay gap is sitting at 13.9% and really throughout the pandemic it's fluctuated between that and 14 and then a little bit down to 13.4. You know, this is just what it's done really historically for the past 20 years. There hasn't really been a lot of standout progress in this regard. Um, What is concerning about it is we we have been seeing this pickup in male wages growth relative to female wages growth. Um, Most recently, we saw that actually flip the other way and female wages growth improved. So that's what led to this narrowing of the gender gap in average full-time weekly earnings. So your report shows that it'll take around 22 years for um, there to be equality in the gender pay gap, but where have you seen the biggest improvement? The biggest improvement in the gender pay gap, well, it's an interesting one to look at when you look at sectors. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of progress in terms of... uh, Male-dominated sectors, uh, mining, financial services is doing a lot that it can, um, notwithstanding that there are so many more men in those higher earning positions, which really affect that gender pay gap. Um, And, you know, it goes without saying that financial services is still one of the worst performers, but the effort that's happening and the the changes to improve it are are looking consistent, which is a good thing. Um, the public service, um, public sector, we do see the gender pay gap there being less than the national average. This is a, a good thing. And I suppose leading into an election, you do want to see that um, government departments are taking gender pay disparities very seriously. So that actually gives me a lot of comfort when I see the the difference between um, the public and private sector. When we look at the public and private sector, though, that gap that has um, continued for many years, which has seen the gender pay gap so much higher in the private sector, is actually starting to narrow. So there are signs that the business case for improving gender diversity and the gender pay gap are starting to take effect at the same time. On a positive note, though, the superannuation gender gap has improved. Can you tell us about that? So in superannuation, this has been the area of most improvement for me, uh, we have seen the time frame to equality fall to 19 years from about 28. Now, that's been because we've seen the median lifetime balance uh, of men and women. The gap there has actually narrowed. So don't get too excited, though, because the average or the median balance for women is sitting at about 50,000 and for men it's at 67,000. Now, that's lifetime. So that's kind of um, finessing all those highs and, and, and very low points at the other end to give you that median number. Now, that's still well short of what's required to live comfortably in retirement, around half a million dollars. Um, so there's a lot of work to do there. But nonetheless, it is progressive that that gender gap is closing. It's sitting at around 25%. That means that women have about 25% of work to do to make up 
or on the on the flip side, we need as a country to do a hell of a lot more to help women bridge that gap. And that's through things like uh, paid parental leave on super. That's considering tax deductions potentially on your personal superannuation contributions. That's an idea I'd like to throw out there. But there's also other strategies that can be maximised. And certainly the closing of that gap makes me feel that we are seeing progress around strategies being taken up, a greater financial literacy among women. But also something really interesting happened. Uh, we have seen men account for disproportionately a higher number of those early access COVID hardship withdrawals. And I think that that has played a role also in closing that gender gap in superannuation. And overall, how do we improve this path to gender financial equality? To improve the path to gender financial equality, we've got to have some level of urgency. Now, as we approach the election, there really isn't much difference between the major political parties on this. There's no direct, broad, grand plan, if you will, for approaching gender equality. Um, in terms of, you know, for example, when we look at the superannuation, being able to access that for younger Australians to buy property, that initiative that, that, that's been flagged by the government, that is a something that will directly benefit younger Australians and first home buyers. We need something that directly benefits um, the gender equality progress that this country needs to make. We're a laggard globally when it comes to gender equity. Um, so we really have a lot to do. So having a sense of urgency is critical. Challenging stereotypes in the home and at work, the way we see ourselves, the way we role model to our children, that affects education and that affects the educational outcomes of us later in life. And that also affects uh, what happens around parenting and who takes what in terms of care. Parenting is a family responsibility and a shift there in our thinking, coupled with some uh, greater workplace flexibility, would certainly help. Bianca Harchib Hazelman there from Financy. Finally, now to the Australian share market, which had a good day. The 200 up by 1%, 7,182. For more, I spoke earlier with Adam Dawes from Shaw and Partners. Adam, the market's up today, but the miners have really outperformed. Why? Yeah, there's a couple of things uh, the reason why, but there's a very, very large conference going on in Miami for the next two days, and that's the Bank of America Global Metals Mining and Steel Conference. And that's where the top 100 mining companies get together and they all start to talk about projects now and what's happening in the future. And that's why we're seeing our mining stocks, which is a very heavy resource-laden market, moving higher today. All right, though, what extent are investors still worried about the likes of China, the geopolitical tensions in Europe and rising interest rates, though? Yeah, there's lots to unpack there, but certainly I think investors are concerned about the Chinese markets going forward. And it's really about the possible slowdown with what's going on with these extended lockdowns that potentially are happening within China. But also businesses are concerned because that's going to hurt their supply chains. And there's, there's certainly supply chain issues has been one of those big things that have been going forward as well. I think interest rates are a concern for a lot of investors, and especially for the Fed, but the RBA. But the concern will be if they raise interest rates a lot higher or a lot quicker than what first thought or what the, or what the, what the Fed has been talking to the market about. But even with that wage uh, growth number at 25 2.5% today, doesn't, it doesn't really sort of show a lot of concern and no alarm bells just yet for, for potential higher rates of interest or faster rates of interest going forward. 
So putting all of that together in this environment, where do you see the opportunities? Yeah, I think the market's in a two sort of a two speed uh, market or undecided the market at the moment. We've got we've seen a huge sell off in tech. We've got the Nasdaq down over 20 percent. We've got certain stocks out there that are down 40 percent plus. So growth has definitely been hit. And I think that's where there's opportunities and certainly in that tech space. But why the market's a little bit in, in two camps is that the value stocks have really started to shine. The value stocks have really done quite well. And so it's really hard to chase some of those value stocks because they're becoming uh, not so valuable anymore or not, you know, they're, they're becoming more expensive. So the market's really looking at that. So I think at the moment, I think this, the space is definitely the tech. There's opportunities there. But certainly some of those value stocks as well will find or give us some good uh, growth going forward also. Adam Dawes there from Shore & Partners. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.